0: On October 27, 2016, College Radio Day and the College Radio Foundation visited the White House to discuss important issues concerning all college students and why college radio is still a valuable asset for college campuses. Ten schools from eight different states were in attendance, including William Patterson University, WPSC FM, St. Xavier University, WXAV FM, University of Texas at Arlington, UTA Radio, University of Colorado Boulder, Radio 1190. Texas Tech University, KTXT-FM, East Stroudsburg University, WESS-FM, Newman University, wnu fm Grand Valley State University, WCKS Radio, Boston College, WZBC Radio, and Moncler State University, WMSC-FM. We began our day with Secretary of Education John King and Director of the White House Domestic Policy Council and Senior Advisor to President Obama, Cecilia Munoz, to discuss the concern of college affordability.
1: And I'll just start us out, one, by just saying how glad we are to have you here. I've been here since the very first day. I started the day after his first inauguration. And he's been really focused, like a laser, really from the very first moment, uh, on education overall. And this is an area where we've done lots and lots of work and, and I think you have a lot to show for it. But also, um, he's been very focused on higher education. I mean, this is a guy who, a few just a few years before he was sworn in as President of the United States, he and the First Lady were still paying off their, their student loans. So this is... The, the question of how important higher education is to opportunity is very, very vivid to the President the First Lady. It's very personal to them because I think they would, they both say frequently that you know there's no way they would be where they are if it weren't for the fact that we as a society made investments in people like them and including in them specifically and that's how they got a quality education and that's how they can be where they are. Um, and so the question of access to higher education, making sure that more students get there in the first place has been paramount since the very beginning. He um, set a goal of being first in the world again in college attainment by 2020. Um, uh, so access is a big piece. Affordability is a huge piece. And like we can't be the country that we are with a, that, you know, that grows the middle class and has ladders of opportunity to folks trying try to get to the middle class. That, w- that can't happen any longer if people are priced out of higher education. And so affordability has been a huge, huge piece of it. And then completion as well. It's not just enough to make sure folks have access to a college education. You have to make sure that they finish. You know,
2: because affordability has always been a priority for the administration, there's a number of specific policy steps we've taken to make sure College stays affordable increase the size of Pell Grants by more than a thousand dollars and more than doubled the overall investment in Pell Grants. We also as I mentioned earlier have taken some steps to make sure that navigating financial aid is easier so moving the FAFSA uh, opening date up to October 1st as we did this year and I hope you are a critical vehicle of communication to folks on your campuses. We've got to make sure people know
1: that the FAFSA is available.
0: Muñoz addressed the status of free community college and brought up the update on when it would be made nationally.
1: So since the president called for free community college um, in the last State of the Union address, there are about, I think, 38 either states or local communities or individual community colleges which have taken this honor and are now offering two years of tuition. Um, and the places that have been doing it longest are are starting to show real results. They're having um, a good impact on FAFSA completion. They're having a good impact on um, outcomes, on graduation rates. It seems in the places where we can measure, which is still only a handful, the results are very, very promising. So hopefully what that does is create momentum. So the proposal at the federal level that the president put forward requires congressional action and Congress has been, I think, less useful than we would like them to be. Um, To put it mildly, so the goal is to, um, as we have on a bunch of other priority issues, things like minimum wage and paid leave, where we've figured out how to do it at a federal level, but we need Congress to act. Um, As that conversation continues, it's happening locally.
0: Stephen Mickley of Boston College asked,
3: Going off your previous answer and a point you made earlier about the obvious importance of students who start college to finish college, it seems that a key part of the administration's plan for higher education is taking innovative approaches to higher -hmm. education, Mm -hmm. such as three-year accelerated degrees, um, online courses that can be completed at home. I saw on whitehouse.gov that the University of Maryland redesigned an introduction to psychology course, and they lowered costs by 70% um, while increasing passing rates. So my question is, do you think that a little bit of the traditional model of higher education is a bit outdated? And is that part of the reason why costs have risen to where they're at?
2: Well, I think it's it's a question of matching the higher ed experience to what students need. So, you know, there are students, who, who would struggle with an um, online only course because the interaction with the professor kind of is so critical to their ability to succeed? And there are some classes where the um, sort of volume of interaction you'd want with the individual professor makes technology a less viable choice. On the other hand, there are some classes where it's eminently logical to ha- have an online or blended model. And we see on some large campuses where they have trouble with scheduling certain courses where going to a blended model has actually help them keep students
0: on track to on-time
2: graduation. So I think there's room for innovation around technologies. There's room for innovation around where students are taking the class.
0: East Stroudsburg University student and station manager at 90.3 WESSFM asked on students' majors reflecting their career path.
3: What advice do you give to students who take the risk of majoring in something that might not be as upheld in the career world? Hmm. Students who go into English and then they're managing arcades or art majors who don't. English jobs. major, right here.
1: Right I <laughs> turned out okay, <laughs> for the most part. So, what advice would you give to students in, in those situations? So, I, I so I confess to being an English major who is the parent of a theater major and an archaeology major. So, um, the advice I give both as a parent but also as a policymaker is that is that part of what you're accomplishing at a youth college is is becoming a critical thinker and that there is real value in studying something that that you're so interested in that it wakes you up in the morning um, and that there that the value of doing that and I say this as somebody who hires young people and to, at least in the public policy world people who are critical thinkers who can write well, who can speak well regardless of what they focused on by virtue of having focused on something they loved, they got good at being able to talk about it and write about it and uh, and do analysis. And that, at least in you know in the public policy work that I do, that those are all critical skill sets. Mm-hmm. So if you are in love with something where it's also really clear what the line is between that and a career, then that's great. But even if the line is fuzzy, there is still value in if, if you have fallen in love with a subject and really diving mm-hmm. in. Because part of what you're accruing in college are those analytical capacities, critical thinking skills, ability to, to write well, and all of those other things. So there's so falling in love with a subject is, is okay.
0: We later sat down with senior advisor Brian Deese to find out that he himself had a college radio show at WRMC 91.1 FM when he was a student at Middlebury College in Vermont.
3: For me, college radio was mostly just a, um, a fun outlet uh, that was an opportunity for creative expression and an opportunity to challenge myself to do something that uh, I hadn't had uh, an opportunity to do before and uh, I love the medium of radio um, and just in general and so figuring out how to um, produce radio that was interesting and compelling uh, was something that I found uh, very interesting.
0: Mr. Deese focuses on climate change, amongst other initiatives.
3: This has obviously been an enormous priority for the president. And uh, domestically, we are now sort of in the final stage of implementing what the president has referred to as his climate action plan. Um, Despite a lot of doubt and setback, we've actually made enormous progress. uh, And we now find ourselves for the first time in U.S. history where we've seen multiple years where the economy has grown and carbon emissions have fallen. And it was um, sort of an accepted conventional wisdom that if the economy grew, then carbon emissions would also grow. And therefore, if you wanted to fight climate change, you had to do so by trading off additional growth or additional jobs or incomes for middle-class families. And we have we now lived through the first sustained period where we've put lie to that uh, concern and actually shown that ac- uh, fighting climate change is not just possible, consistent with a strong economic strategy, but it actually is part of a, uh, a strong pro-growth, p- pro-middle-class family strategy.
0: Mr. Deese also commented on the believability of climate change and why it's a cause for concern.
3: The, the question of whether global average temperatures are increasing and whether human activity is contributing to those increases is actually as a matter of substance not up for debate so, um, so that I think importantly on college campuses or elsewhere um, needs to be made clear with facts uh, and with science uh, and the science is not um, ambiguous so if you look at global average temperatures um, the, 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 the planet is warming at an increasing uh, and alarming rate now Your question is relevant for two reasons. One is because one of the things that happens when the temperature, when global average temperatures increase is it doesn't uniformly change the weather everywhere. In fact, what it does is it increases the volatility of um, extreme weather events. And those extreme events can be both extreme cold and extreme warm but it just increases the volatility of extreme weather uh, in general. And so one of the things that we all need to do a better job at is that, while you never want to attribute any individual snowstorm or any individual tornado or any individual um, uh, downpour to global warming, you can very clearly attribute the increase in these sort of um, uh, unusual weather patterns to overall temperature increase. So we just had in Louisiana, Um, this terrible flooding which was a a once-in-a-thousand-year flood but the truth is if you look at what's happening in the southeast of the US things that used to be once-in-a-thousand-year flood or once-in-a-hundred-year flood are now happening every couple of years. Climate change is a challenging issue because it is so big and it does feel in some some ways like it's slow-moving that the temperature is increasing but you don't wake up every single day while some people do, lots of people don't wake up every single day and see in a very clear sense, you know, climate change affecting their life. Um, and that also presents a challenge in thinking about how do you build action and how do you build uh, movement around addressing a threat that as the president says, there is no greater threat to our country and our planet than climate change, but you have to figure out a way to motivate people To take action, uh, even if they accept that it's happening, why they should care and why they should act.
0: Finally, we got to speak with U.S. Press Secretary Josh Ernest, who was familiar with college radio. Uh,
4: There actually was a very active college radio station at Rice, uh, Rice University, where I attended college. Uh, K True was the uh, radio station there. And they had a reputation for being very independent, a little iconoclast, and it was pretty entertaining. Uh, I wasn't personally involved in the programming there, but uh, they were a genuine presence on campus and uh, even those of us that weren't involved with the radio station i think did recognize uh, how much they contributed to the quality of life on campus it was a real a genuine outlet for uh, students and um, you know did serve as a uh, uh, as a you know one of the focal points of the of the community there
0: The topic of news and social media was brought up amongst the millennials.
4: I think the biggest challenge for young people, particularly those of you that are coming of age in this current media environment, is in this environment, it's very easy to choose the news that you want to hear. And there is a natural human tendency, where it's it's hardwired in all of us, to seek out sources of news that we already agree with, that confirm our preconceived notions of the world, and That is a natural human instinct, but it's dangerous. It's important as good citizens for us to seek out the views of people who don't, who we may not agree with, to open ourselves to considering another person's point of view. Remember, the whole point of a democracy is everybody's got a say, and we resolve our differences through negotiation and debate, not through violence. And if we just close ourselves off to a debate, if we close ourselves off to even considering the point of view of somebody who might differ with us, then um, we undermine our ability to have a collective discussion in this country about where we should go and what it is we stand for and what's right and what's wrong, what are our country's interests.
0: The secretary rounded off the discussion with his code on ethics and his position.
4: There's no ethical code that I've consulted uh, in trying to handle the responsibilities of the job. Mm -hmm. I've just tried to be honest Uh, and I think my record on that's very good and yes, sometimes that means answering tough questions and sometimes that means acknowledging facts that don't make the president look very good. There hasn't been much of that, but there's been some of that, It's not just about my own credibility and it's not just about the own professionalism that I try to convey or my own seriousness of purpose when it comes to preparing for the briefing, I feel like I'm representing not, not just the president, but all of my colleagues here at the White House. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a responsibility that uh, I'm humbled to be entrusted with, but it's also not a responsibility that I take very seriously.
0: Before the secretary left, he gave us a few parting words.
4: Well, it's a pleasure to spend uh, part of my afternoon with you guys. I appreciate you making the effort to come to the White House, and I hope it's been valuable to you. And let me give you uh, 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 some credit here that uh, journalism is a tough business, and it's not for the faint of heart. Uh, but the work that you guys do on college campuses across the country uh, makes the experience, makes your communities richer It makes the experience of your students uh, all that much more valuable and they rely on you uh, to be a source of information and I hope uh, um, it's well it's clear to me that you take that responsibility very seriously and let me compliment you for doing that.
0: For WMSC Upper Montclair 90.3 FM the voice of Montclair State I'm Juan Cantla.